1: Don't miss it. Get your tickets now at Tribecafilm.com.
2: Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples and I'm editor-in-chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. Bevy Smith knows how to command a room, and she's had our attention for over two decades. Her TED Talk was one of the most viewed of 2022, and her book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie serves as the ultimate guide in reinventing yourself. I personally know Bevy because I was always a huge fan of her work at Vibe and Rolling Stone, and growing up, I just always admired her work and how fearless she was. So it was exciting to have her on the podcast today because she is someone who really always describes her life as someone who's taking ownership, and I think it's an amazing opportunity to be able to catch up with someone like her and chat about her career and, of course, why it gets greater later. I'm excited about we've talking never, to we've you. We've never done one of these. We've never done one of these, and it's long overdue. And I've watched you do these forever, so I feel very
0: <laughs> well, important you know, that
2: I get to talk to you today. I'm, I'm a
0: chatty cafe today. I just did <laughs> um, I just did Tamron today. You did? Yeah. That's awesome. It was really good.
2: So, I start every show, because this show is called In Her Shoes, mm-hmm. by asking what your favorite shoes are or what shoes you have on. But I know you always have some fabulous heels on, so I'm going to look down. I knew it. See, <laughs> snakeskin. Snakeskin. Tell me about the shoes. Um,
0: they they're snakeskin. They're Louboutin. Um, Casual, and they're, right? Just a little cash. A little red bottom. A little for red bottom. A Tuesday. Okay. Mm, well, they're iridescent, and so they're sparkly. And the reason why I wore them is because I woke up this morning, and I felt the presence of the Yoruba priestess goddess Yemaya. Okay. She's one of the Orishas, and I felt her, and she is the mother. She rules the water. Okay. And so I put on cobalt blue. That's her color. She has a
2: very beautiful cobalt blue dress on, everyone. Thank you.
0: She is cobalt blue. Her colors are cobalt blue and white. Okay. And silver. Wow. So these shoes give you all of that. Wow. So that's how I selected the shoes.
2: Do you always select what you wear by things that you wake up and think about? Yeah, a lot of times it's a vibe, it's a feeling for hmm. sure. Like, if That's I want. That's so specific. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I woke up today and I was tired. So, you know, like, it, it's very specific. Yeah. It's something that I want to
0: convey. So, I'm very <laughs> cont- um, intentional about what I want to convey with my clothes mm-hmm. because clothes are protection, mm-hmm. they are expression. And, um, and clothes have always been something for me that kind of cement my identity. I
2: love that. I love that. Okay, so what would you say it's been like to walk in your shoes figuratively and literally in your life right now?
0: Well, I've started wearing heels when I was 12 (laughs) years old. So walking in my shoes in the streets of Harlem as a 12-year-old with like a little three-inch heel or something, 13 years old, um, was definitely... um, complicated because people automatically made assumptions that if you wore a little tiny heel and you were a little girl, that you were a strumpet, a strumpet, (laughs) a strumpet darling. They thought you were a (laughs) tiny whore. And, (laughs) and I was not a tiny whore. Some of their daughters were tiny whores, but I was not a tiny whore. (laughs) But uh, So walking in my shoes, I've always loved high heels. I have a mom who is a high heel wearer. My mom, just stopped wearing heels when she literally had a stroke. And being in my shoes and just kind of a figurative way, um, it's a really good walk right now. Mm. I'm in a really blissful space in my life. Um, I and like I, that
2: word blissful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm all about trying to get people to connect with their blissful brand. Um, not enough of us understand what really sparks joy in our lives. Mm-hmm. We know how to get the bag. We know how to get the money. We know how to get accolades, access, and all of that. But we don't really know what's going to make us happy. So I actually, in my shoes right now, I have about four pairs of sneakers in rotation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm wearing sneakers every day. You do? I'm wearing sneakers every single day. Okay. Because I have a real desire to frolic frolic, and to cavort and to skip, which is actually <laughs> galloping on me, and to run around. and And it's just bursting out of me, Lindsay. I cannot contain it. I and love I can't this. do that in these old high-ass hills. No, so.
2: I know, but I, I love that. So, I mean, you talk so much about prioritizing yourself, prioritizing joy. What does that look like? Because I I do think, like, in theory, that sounds nice, right? But in practice, what does that look like day-to-day? Or what does that look like in you prioritizing yourself today, for example? What, what did you do?
0: Very busy day for me today, and I still found a way to prioritize myself. So I got up this morning and felt blissful. And the song that came to my head was Knocks Me Off My Feet by Stevie Wonder. Mm, very good song. Yeah. Something About Your Love that makes, love, me, weaken, me, yeah, love mm-hmm. that makes me weak and knocks me off my feet. So I put that on. Mm-hmm. That set the tone. And then I began to write in Not one, but two journals. I have a journal that is purple Mm -hmm. with, you know, kind of like the third eye. Okay. And then I have an Oprah journal. Mm. And so I wrote in both of them. And what, you know, that was just so great because my day starts with my mom. She lives with me. Okay. And I have to make her smoothies and breakfast and all that kind of stuff. So before I did that, I took the time to journal Mm -hmm. and then take a proper shower with a long one hmm With all the, like, nice scents going in the air.
2: Right, yeah.
0: Air dry. Because <laughs> that's a luxury.
2: That is a luxury. I can't believe you air dry. Wow. I air dry. Wow. Okay.
0: And then I put on a beautiful um, robe and started the morning with my mom. So that was self-care. Yeah. Two journals, a lovely shower, air drying, a, a beautiful robe. Yeah. And then started the day.
2: Do you feel like these are things that you've learned to do over time that you've been doing for a long time? Or do you feel like these are things that you came about in realizing that you had to do in order to, you know, sustain the life that you have and the busy schedule that you have?
0: So I haven't gone to work since I was like in my 20s. I'm not into working. <laughs>
2: okay. Okay. <laughs> Working is overrated. Get somebody else
0: to do that's it. That's going to be
2: the headline. I'm not into working. I'm not
0: into working. Get somebody else to do
2: it. Like, what,
0: what's happening? Soft
2: life. I,
0: the softest. The plushest. The most luxurious. And luxury hats. Luxury to me is free time and freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people think luxury is the stuff. Nah, nah, nah. that's not real luxury. It's free time. Um, And so, what I, I've come to this life because... um. I desperately needed to come to it and it started when i quit my job at rolling stone magazine at the age of 38 Mm -hmm. and i began to realize what free time could be because before that i had such a grueling schedule you know i would go and you and you do it now like you know i was going to the shows six times a year Mm -hmm. um you know i was men's and women's i would do sales calls calls overseas as well and it sounds sexy and fabulous but it's a burnout, and this' a It's drain. a lot of work, yeah. It's a lot of For work. Sure.
2: But take, can I butt in and actually ask you, though, when you when you decided to quit your job at 38, what was it like to actually make that decision? Because, I mean, now you, you've you been away from it, so obviously you feel differently, but at that moment in time, were you scared to to make such a big change? I was
0: not scared. Mm. I was foolhardy, I will tell you that. But I was not scared at all. I had already beaten the odds as being a black, dark skin girl, was curvy, who worked in high-end fashion. You know, I think that, that obviously, things have changed drastically now. Mm-hmm. There's so many amazing brown girls in fashion, um, but there weren't that many. And if you were a brown girl in fashion, you had a certain look, mm-hmm. and you presented a certain way, and I've always been me. I've always led with, I'm a Harlem girl first and foremost, um, and so that kind of thing was revolutionary.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I was wearing braids. Nobody was wearing braids overseas. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. like, what's going on? Can I touch your head? Like, it was just such a different time in the 90s to be in fashion um, as someone who looked like me and mm-hmm. presented like I did. And so I wasn't afraid because I succeeded in that tough space. I succeeded in all white rooms for a very long time. hmm and so that kind of gives you the courage to know that you can do all things. Because if you can do something like that, child, as Sheree says, says, "Who going to check me, boo? That's Love I the really, meme. Yes. You know what I mean? I literally was like, I can do this. Now, I didn't know it was going to take me seven years. Yeah. That was the...
2: what. So, So tell me about those seven years and what that was like and what you were doing during that time.
0: The seven years was what needed to be done. You know, um, the seven years was—I did the first kind of like six months. I had to cleanse myself from my corporate self. Mm -hmm. So I did the sepia version of Eat, Pray, Love. I went to South Africa. I went to Zambia. I went to Brazil. I went to Costa Rica. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So it was for the first time, Lindsay, that I understood what resort wear was really about.
2: Because I was literally— Yeah, for people who have yachts and—like, actually vacation. (laughs) It's not— Right. It's for
0: people that actually—and it's for people who— Chase the summer. Yeah. So that, I quit in February, and I immediately got on the road. And so I actually missed that that entire winter. Okay. It's the chicest thing ever.
2: Yeah. It sounds very chic.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so then I came back and enrolled in acting classes and writing classes and DJ classes and photography classes. Mm, and
2: You had hobbies.
0: Baby. I took myself on artist dates where I just went and watched the show or... Visited, I became a member of every single museum on Museum Mile, mm. and I just was free. And I would like, I was one of those people that you see in the middle of the day in Starbucks that are like, "You're like, like how is this person sitting here?" Right, <laughs> so calmly. <laughs> right, I was that person. Yeah, but I would, I was doing the Cooper Hewitt Museum on Museum Mile. It's a great art and design museum. Yeah, and they have a backyard. And you can lay there and you can do your work because there's a Wi-Fi. So I would write whatever I wanted to. Right. You know, I would read. I would do all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so freeing and liberating. And it was the first time that I ever felt like a carefree black girl.
2: Mm. That's a big one. Yeah. How did you also manage... You know, transitioning from full-time job and the finances of that to then working for yourself and also just taking a break. Because I think that's also the big hurdle for so many people when they hear someone's story like yours mm-hmm. of saying, I also feel burnt out. I would like to do my own eat, pray, love, or I'd like to go off and write for myself. Obviously, industry is changing so often. How did you manage that?
0: Well, I had money saved. Mm-hmm. I took the bonus that they gave me in January. And I applied that to my life. I burned through a lot of it but that e Pray, Love trip. <laughs> um, and I burned through a lot of it with all the classes. And I burned through a lot of it going to L.A. back and forth to try and, like, understand the business. Right. I spent a lot of money doing that. Um, and in short term, a year and a half, I ran out of money. And um, then I was broke. And then, <laughs> you say it so calmly. I mean, it really was—and you know, I got to tell you, Lindsay, I was really calm about it because I knew, growing up in Harlem, I knew that there are a lot of people that are broke. Mm -hmm. And it's not the end of the world. You see, we get into these—the status and these things that we have and these—the surroundings and the trappings and the things, and we start to really believe that we need that stuff to be happy. Right. And then— You can see people, and especially when you travel the world, you know, when you go to Brazil and you see people living in abject poverty but having family and community, Mm -hmm. it's a nice reminder. And I had family and community. Now I was broke. I had to go to housing court. I had to go from black cars to the bus. Um, I had to go from, you know, five-star restaurants to a can of salmon. But that was Okay. Because I was doing everything I set out to do. Yeah. I was appearing on TV. I was writing for great magazines like Interview and Paper and Glamour and Essence. I was doing all these things. It was magical. I just ain't had no money.
2: Yeah, but you were doing things on your own terms, which I, was I, doing I things do you think is, is worth something. I thought so, too. 100%. Yeah. Did you feel like people judged you or how how did you actually feel like people around you took it in that you had made such a big life change.
0: I actually had to let go of some of my corporate friends because we were all very successful corporate ladies.
2: That's no surprise. Yeah. Because yeah. I do think it can be like if you wanted to just hang out with a friend they're they may be used to going to the hottest new restaurant, et cetera. And you're like, hey, just come over and I can cook and we can watch a movie. Yeah. And they, that may not be the thing that they want to do anymore.
0: Well, that's not the thing I'm going to do anything, So, <laughs> so with are two of us. Um, the great thing is I would tell people that. Like people would invite me to galas and things. And I still had all the, the trappings, all the right. accoutrements, right? So I could go. I could look the part. But I ain't had no money to get the to these downtown from Harlem because that's a 50 $60 cab ride. Right. So I would tell them. I would love to come, but I'm not getting on the train a gown in a high heel. Yep. And they would be like, we'll send a car for you. And I'd be like, well, I'll be there then. Great, yeah. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have not a dime in my pocket, but I would I would show up and have a, the best time. And that's actually how I created Dinner with Bevy. Mm-hmm. I, I was at a Hugo Boss Christmas dinner at Noble 57. And um, I went, I looked the part, and I got there, and I realized I was the only person in the room without... Um, uh, a business card with a corporation, uh, you know, a magazine, a fa- fashion house, something on the, the card. Mm-hmm. And I was the only black person in the room as well. Mm-hmm. And what that made me realize is that I had done such a great job at connecting with people and having real relationships. That even though people knew I was no longer doing that work, mm-hmm. I was still invited. Yeah. So when I'm leaving and I'm tipsy and I see Amarion and he's like, Bev, I've been looking for you. Where you been? And I was like, you should have been at this dinner. I, I was just that. And then I realized... How would Amarion get to a dinner party with Hugo Boss and um, with Esquire and at the time detail, details and GQ and all that? Because this is back when, <laughs> you know, you know, we just, yeah yeah you know, it was we a did, different time. It was a different time when they did not let us in. We, you had to be the biggest star, black star in the world to even get a feature in a magazine. Totally, totally. Um, and so I, that's how I created Dinner with Beffy. Because I was like, I have all the relationships on that side and I have a lot of music relationships. And I put them both together.
2: Do you feel like Dinner with Bevy was the first thing that really solidified like the career pivot for you?
0: Yeah, it was. I was an accidental entrepreneur. And I never wanted to be an entrepreneur because I was really good at jobs. You know how some people are not good at having a job? Yeah. I was an excellent employee. (laughs) Like, I I really slayed jobs. Yeah. So I wasn't that girl. So I didn't need to become an entrepreneur because it, it wasn't like the people rubbed me the wrong way. I always got what I wanted and pretty much what I needed from jobs. Mm-hmm. So, but then all of a sudden I had to figure out a way to make some coins. So I became this accidental entrepreneur and I came up with that idea in December and I did my first dinner party in January. And it was a rip roaring success. And from there I did dinners for... Kerry Washington, Idris Elba, Pharrell—I mean, yeah, yeah.
2: You also, I feel like, have taken on so so many different ventures, but also, I wanted to talk about your what you call bitchy bevy <laughs> persona. Um, how do you feel like you've been able to balance all of that, but also, you know, stay true to who you are and what you want to do, but also give people different sides of yourself without relinquishing the power that you have as you know your own person.
0: Well, I think once I start, stopped having the personas, it was very easy. was mm. not just show up as me. And you're going to get the same me everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas before, I know for certain, when I first started in fashion, I definitely felt I needed to become this thing. Because I was working in all white spaces. So, What all, did
2: you feel like you had to become?
0: Well, I just had to be... A little wittier, and sometimes the wit was a little biting
2: Because
0: mm. um, that's humor in our business a lot of times, yeah, yeah, um, and it's cutting, and you know, I not to snap on people, you know that's what we do in the hood, right so and in 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 the rare air luxury space, this is a sharp wit, right, um, and so I was able to. Do that, play the dozens in that regard. Um, and I, I think for me, when I decided to put that life down and pick up this new life, I was able to show up and show out.
2: But what what did it take? And what do you feel like it costs you personally to get to that point? Because I do think that, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, but that's a journey. Yes. And that's also deliberate decisions that you're making to say, this is who I am and this is how I show up in the world. And that requires you to, you know, have a sense of self-awareness and yes. understanding about yourself, but also leave a lot of things behind so that you can fully show up present. That's
0: right. I love you. You're so fucking smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's how I really came up with like my red soul proposition Mm. which is named after Louboutin and it's really about defining who you are and so that you can be this fully formed personal brand Mm -hmm. because I understood before there were even personal brands that I was a personal brand
2: yeah yeah
0: um and so I asked myself three questions Who am I at my core? How am I being perceived? How would I like to be perceived? Mm. And those answers gave me the space to show up. And I don't believe that it cost me much of anything. But one of the things about me is that I am, I'm an eternal optimist. So I really don't even retain the struggles. So, like, I can be, I was always easy about going to housing court.
2: This is extreme soft life behavior. I I admire. <laughs> no, I really do. I really do. Because I think, especially black women, we hold, I think we hold so much, like, just so many burdens mm-hmm. and traumas. And, yeah, and and that, that stays in your body. So, I no, I, I admire. Thank you. But it has a lot to do with my mom. My mother came up to
0: New York from Jim Crow South and was a single mother with my brother. And she was a woman who, you know, they called her the girl with the sparkly eyes. And she literally floated through life. And you would never know that she came from Jim Crow South because she didn't carry that with her. hmm You know? And so when you are around someone who is sparkly and effervescent and light, my mother's very light.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yet has a lot of gravitas right? where it counts. It rubs off on you. Every, she's an optimist, and I, I get it from her.
1: The Tribeca Festival is back with a lineup full of relatable and inspiring films, series, and more. In Elizabeth Taylor, The Lost Tapes, learn the truth behind the public figure from archival audio featuring Taylor herself. Enjoy an acoustic performance coupled with an inspiring story of healing through the power of music at the world premiere of Melissa Etheridge, I'm Not Broken. Relish in Britt Lauer's beautiful off-kilter performance in Darkest Miriam. And laugh out loud at the premiere of Hannah Einbinder's first comedy special, Everything Must Go. It's all happening June 5th to June 16th in NYC.
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: I do feel like you also talk about, you know, just keeping your life very full and purposeful and specifically... How do you, you know, teach people or what have you learned over the years and finding fulfillment? Because I do think that's something that you touch on a lot. Um, I remember one of the first talks that I saw of you. You were talking about this a very long time ago. And um, I remember because I was I was working at Teen Vogue and as assistant then. Um, how do how do you view that now? Because I also think you have such perspective in coming from the fashion industry and working for yourself in not finding fulfillment in a job or a tile or anything like mm-hmm. that and, and in yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I, even working in the fashion business as a kid, I knew I was enough. So I think it comes from being in Harlem, you know. Yeah. We have a lot of swagger. <laughs> we go, you know, we walk through, and I think that that's the difference between us and Brooklyn people. Like people always want to talk now about she's Brooklyn. Starting Brooklyn. A war I'm on not ever the starting podcast. a war because first of all, we're just the neighborhood. <laughs> Brooklyn is the entire borough, so we cannot. With there's no competition between Brooklyn and Harlem. Now if we want to go Fort Greene and Harlem or Bed Stuy and Harlem. We can do that conversation, <laughs> and I think we know who wins. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but we're not going to do that. There's no competition. But there, I will say there are real extreme differences, and I think it's because we are in Manhattan, so we don't have to cross a bridge or go through a tunnel, and we're literally two train stops away from everything mm-hmm. that, that happens. I stuff, hear that. Right? So that kind of shapes you. And my fulfillment comes from my family and my community. And I'll never forget when I first started making, like, when I first made, like, $100,000 when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm from Harlem. We had median household income, like— $35,000 for four people. Right? right. So it's like, ooh, mama, I made it. Moving Big on up, money. right? yeah. And my boss was like, you should move down here, the West Village, you know what I mean? Like, we can get you an apartment. We can, like, you know, I know people. And I was like, oh, why would I want to do that? <laughs> I don't want to, I like working down here. I want to live down here with y'all. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I think that being grounded in my community and living literally never living more than 20 blocks from my parents, <laughs> you know, it just gives you, it fulfilled me. Mm-hmm. And I never felt like I was chasing them. Now there were times when certainly I drank the Kool-Aid and I loved the sexiness and the access that I had. hmm but then I also was smart enough to realize that a lot of the things I was doing was very similar to a Saturday night in the hood. So even when I was like there and enamored by all of that, um, I was still very clear about who I was because I was always able to re- relate it back.
2: Right. One of your revelations is, is take a note, give mm-hmm. a note. Um, Tell me and the listeners what that means. And when was the last time you had to take a note, give a note moment? Oh, gosh.
0: There's always those. I'll give you the perfect example. So take a note, give a note is something that, so to compare us to despair. Mm. Okay. Okay. But sometimes you can't fucking help it. Sometimes <laughs> you will see somebody motherfucking winning so good. And, you know, just in some regard, and you'll be like, oh, shit. But you will see that. And when that little... Because I'm not a hater. So there are some people that are born to hate. And so this practice will not work for them. Okay. Okay? (laughs) So if you're a born hater... This isn't for you. This is not for you, darling. (laughs) Keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you when you're 90 and a miserable bitch. (laughs) Um, But if you're not a born hater... (laughs) When you see someone doing something, having something, looking like something... Mm-hmm. That you wish, and you get that little. Why they think they? Why didn't I get it? When you get that, yeah, you take a note. You look at it. You look at them. You see and really look at the differences between you guys, mm-hmm. the good and the bad. Once you've calmed your nerves, then you give a note. You leave a little heart on it, you leave a little message on the thing, or if they're your friends, you pick up the phone and you call them. My friend Angelique Miles is a fitness enthusiast. Mm-hmm. She's my age. She looks like a 32 year old woman.
2: Okay. Oddie,
0: <laughs> down, <laughs> fit. She's all the things. And she recently just had on this dress. And I said, well, you know what? Well, look at that. And I literally like the way I look. But this time I looked at Angelique, I said, well, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) I took it in. And then I was like, that's Angelique's journey. I'm, for one, not. I'm not doing two for workouts a day. Uh, I'm not going to. Be she she lives a full life, but she also
2: yeah. Fitness is her thing. That's her thing. Yeah.
0: So yeah. she does things to, to you know she eats the way she needs to eat to get that way and stay that way. Right. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so I called up Angelique and I said, "Baby, well, first of all, I said you're about to make men and women divorce their mates based on the way you look at that. <laughs> that's why I said in public. And okay. then I called my friend. Okay. And what'd you say? I said, "Baby." You are killing them. Keep your foot on their necks. I love it. And I love to see you shine.
2: I love that. Yeah. Do you feel like that's a hard concept for people to grasp? Because they're too rooted in in pride and just not able to get past?
0: Yeah, I think also, too, people would rather try and pick it apart, right? Mm. They would rather try to figure out... Why it's not all that? Well, sweetie, it is all that. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it. Literally, she's literally all that. Yeah, yeah. And when people look at me and they feel, you know, things this like, and I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it because they're like, well, how and why? Because of the way I am, the way I look, the way I speak. Mm-hmm. It leaves a lot of people in a quandary. Like, what, 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 what? You know what I mean? <laughs> They've trying to figure it out.
2: The math, maths, to me.
0: But. Thank you. But to many, it does not. And so those people should instead read my book. <laughs> That's the take a note part. <laughs> read my book. Or watch my TED talk. Yes. And then leave you a nice it. note yeah. and understand why I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do. Why my phone rings? Why I solicit nothing in life? Why everything comes to me?
2: Mm, I love because this.
0: everything is as it should be. Because I'm living in my purpose.
2: It's powerful words. I love it. Um, I want to also talk about other things that you're doing. I know you have a recurring role on Harlem. Hey, did, did you see me be a young actress? Yeah. I mean, well, that wasn't acting. That was that, that was really profound. Thank you. But you're doing you're doing so many things, and so. I want to also touch on that. You're doing Harlem. I know you always have a ton of things going on. How do you feel about the show? What, what were you excited about? And just capturing the essence of your character, but also all the other things that you want to do. How, how are you handling and balancing that?
0: Harlem was amazing for me. I auditioned two days before the world shut down for the pandemic.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I was in the process of also writing my book. So when the world shut down, I'm writing the book, and I talk about it in the book. I said, I went on this audition, and I was afraid to go. So I didn't know why I was afraid to go, but I went anyway. I say this in the book. I went anyway, and I'm glad I did. So the book in the book, I don't have the, the gig yet. Yeah. Paul comes, and they call me and say, we, we would like to offer you a, a, a role. And I get the script. It's three lines. And I call Tasha Smith. She has an acting class. You know, Mm -hmm. the actress, Tasha Smith, director. I said, Tasha, girl, I got a role, girl. I need you, girl. And she says, all right, Bev, we going to work. Send over the script. I said, well, it's three lines. And she's like, well, okay, well, then we don't need to work. I'm like, no, Tasha, I need you, girl. I need to work. She's like, Bev, it's three lines. You got this. I said, Tasha, I don't got this. She's like, I'm going to give you to one of my coaches. And I go to this woman named Tiffany who works at Tasha's workshop school, acting workshop. Uh And Tiffany and I spend 10 hours over three lines.
2: Dedicated to the craft. Let
0: me tell you what happens when I get on that set. Because I work 10 hours on three lines. Baby, I'm so juicy. I'm so deep into my role as Aunt Tammy, even though she has three lines. I'm acting against Tyler Lepley Uh and Megan Good.
2: Yeah.
0: Megan's been working since she was a child. Yeah. Tyler Lepley is fine. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So it's a lot going on. I get that set and I deliver. I deliver so well, they give me more work to do.
2: Well, I I was going to say, I know where this is going.
0: Yeah. I deliver so well, they give me three scenes. And then they ask me back for season two. And I have... Two amazing scenes, including the really pivotal one with my nephew, yeah. Ian, played by Tyler Lefley. And I'm so proud that I took it that seriously. I didn't go in there flippantly, like, well, it's Aunt Tammy, she's close enough to me, I could just wing it. Mm-mm. When you get opportunities, you must take them seriously.
2: Yeah, I hear
0: that. And you can't work an ego. And now I'm in a new um, si- streaming series that's actually premiering at um, ABFF. It's called The Table. And I play a oh, nice. city worker named Doris. Okay. Who's a single mother who lives in Newark, New Jersey. And she's okay, nothing Jersey. like me. She's, like, got kids. She's always in her uniform. She's a hard worker. Mm, you know, I yeah. ain't no hard worker. <laughs> um, and, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's nothing like me. And I'm excited about people seeing that part of me, too, to see how I'm really progressing in my acting.
2: I love that. Um, I have to ask, since we're doing a ton of uh, 50 years of hip-hop stuff at The Cut, obviously um, you have been a big part of hip-hop being in culture the way that it is. Um, We did Glorilla earlier this year. We did Ice Spice. Mm -hmm. We just did uh, Carisha on a cover. Um, Did you ever think hip-hop was going to be as big as it is today? Well, so
0: I'm from Harlem. Hip-hop starts in the Bronx, So, Mm -hmm. and that's like literally next door. So I'm there at the beginning. So hip-hop is my music. But my niece is 28, and I'm 56, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and we see each other musically.
2: Mm. And it's
0: hip-hop that's the connective tissue. So when I was a kid, I knew how it made me feel. And then as an adult, like, you know, as a young adult, I was a hip hop party, slaying the tunnel, slaying the rats, slaying all the things, and all the hottest rappers, <laughs> <laughs> baby. <laughs> I was that one. I was that girl. I was everywhere. I was an Instagram star before there was an Instagram.
2: I was gonna say okay. Yeah.
0: So. There's that, but then I go into vibe, and that's when my fashion world collides with my hip-hop hottie world, Mm -hmm. and it's amazing, because at vibe, I then get to go with artists to Paris and and introduce them to brands and people and all of that, right? And so, I'll never forget when Emile did Lulu Kim for the cover. Never forget. Ever. And um, he had Donatella Versace make her custom thing, but he wanted her to wear Blonnick's, And ironically enough, they just couldn't find any shoes in Manola Blonnick And then um, Imam was the beauty editor at large at Vibe at the time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he lets Imam know this. Imam calls Mr. Blonick himself, and Mr. Blonick sends over all of a sudden. There's a boatload of shoes from. <laughs> Lonic, you know what I mean? Right. But I knew that we were, I knew that hip-hop was going to be huge because I saw from the beginning how it it electrified people, how it inspired people. hmm And I saw through all the different changes, the one thing that was the common thread was that it was an undeniable music of the people. Mm-hmm. And anything's for the people yeah. is always going to resonate. Um, I hate that we're going backwards on the on the money part of it, though.
2: In artists making less yeah. money? Mm. I hate that we're going in the
0: ba- backwards on that. But I like that we are seeing more of the artists take control of their brands mm-hmm. and their branding. I'm very happy to see that. Because yeah. for many years, we were just sitting around trying to get free sneakers from somebody and a, a jean suit. So, a jeep, I, I, baby, baby. <laughs> word they giving out jeans suits and Levi's. Okay, that <laughs> makes me so sad. I don't want you to go running around getting the jeans suit and no,
2: Levi's. Please don't.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, no shout out to Levi's. By the way, I had on the pier on Sunday. Go on. <laughs>
2: Speaking of social media and how you were saying, um, I mean, you were obviously doing so many things with your career, but you didn't have the pressures of posting, doing all the things that I feel like we have to do yeah. now, When whether you work at a company or you have a brand or anything like that. Um, you often say on social that it gets greater later mm-hmm. and give that advice to a lot of young people who I think, um, even myself, even though I'm not young. You I are think young. No, no. And you have the perfect brows. My lord. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's like my the one thing I have. Um, I do think it's it's harder now. Um, and I think people like you are we look up to people like you because when you say it gets greater later, I think it's hard for people to see of like how how does that actually happen when it feels like so much pressure these days to be all of the things. Yeah. Um what do you what do you feel like you tell people they're like good advice of just that pressure right now to to be on and to to have the persona on and all of that, um, and you realizing that things have gotten better for you later when when you're doing things on, on your own terms.
0: Yeah, and I do think there's a lot more pressure um, because there's a lot more eyes. And like you said, you no, know, once upon a time, a woman in your incredibly amazing position um, would have just had to run the cut. Mm-hmm. And now you have to actually be the personality of the cut yeah. as well mm-hmm. um, so that's double the duty, sometimes yeah. double the fun, but <laughs> always double the duty, yeah, it is um, and so that's different, right? um, and so the thing that I always try and remind all of you lovely young people is this you're in these positions for a reason,
2: mm.
0: it's not they're not doing you no favors.
2: No, you've never that. yeah, this.
0: Yeah. You have already shown up and shown out. There's certain things that they can't really take away from you. They'll never be able to take away this narrative, this story, these things that you've done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When I saw Glowrilla, when I saw Carisha, when I saw Ice Base, I was like, yes, ma'am. Come on, Legacy. <laughs> That's legacy work that you're doing. Yeah. So I hope that you can sit in that, and I know it's very hard to do so because you're just going, going, going to the next and to the next. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really hated about being in fashion advertising sales is that you would have a really amazing banner, crazy month, and they would celebrate you. And literally, when the applause died down in that same meeting, they would say, "And now, what's next? What do you got for this month?"
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's You'd always, be like, it's Bitch, always can I rest? the next.
0: Yeah. Bitch, can I rest on my laurels? So just a I mean, I don't want to lay there. But can I I won't even take off my shoes. But can I just sit in the laurels for a moment? Yeah, yeah. And so I would urge you to sit in your laurels for a moment. Don't allow them to make you stay on this hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Don't keep running. It's okay. You've done the work. You have a le- you at your very young age already have a legacy. You do, little lady.
2: I'm I'm, I'm building. I don't don't think I have, but I think I'm building. Let me
0: just tell you something. If for some reason you weren't here next month, Mm -hmm. you've done enough here that the phone would be ringing off the hook with opportunities and options for you, which means that you do have a legacy because you have established yourself. You're not... Uh, up and coming ingenue. Yeah, of course, there's always all things that you want to do. You want to keep going.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I hear that. You've done
0: it, lady. So <laughs> you have actually earned the rest in the laurels because you've done it. You've got tangible proof.
2: She's holding up the magazine.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've got tangible proof. But you're not even seeing it because you think, well, I'm still trying to do this. I'm trying. Yeah, and you'll do all those things. Mm-hmm. You will. It's fine. I, trust me, there's a myriad of things that I am still have still yet to do, but I also respect what I have done. Yeah. And what I did in the 90s, and what I did in the aughts, and what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. But it's all this, it's all this melange, it's this gumbo that makes me Bebby Smith. And that's why the phone rings. And when I left Rolling Stone... I was so wonderfully surprised at how many black people knew who I was and saw me and wanted to work with me. I didn't know that. Because outside of Vibe, most people think I've, I've had a whole career in that kind of space. I worked at Vibe for five years. The rest of my entire career, I've worked in spaces where I've been the only one.
2: No, I knew that, yeah.
0: So I didn't know that black people were that aware of me. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be like, no, we know what. And this is before social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And I didn't have press because I was an advertising sales executive. So there was no press. But people knew what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And they respected that. And my people did. Oh, my gosh. It was great. Yeah. So I will tell you guys that uh, you guys are overachievers. <laughs> and, that's, and, and that's the part that concerns me. As the auntie. <laughs> As the mother to my gay kids, that's the part that concerns me.
2: I can cop to that. I'm yeah. I'm a classic overachiever. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah,
0: it, no, it's that. fine as long as it doesn't get overbearing.
2: Mm-hmm. I hear that.
0: Yeah, I just don't want it to get overbearing because it's there's always something to aim at. There's always someone else is doing something. Oh gosh, it's exhausting. It's, it's
2: exhausting. <laughs> yeah. So how do you balance that in like what like what things are you excited to do in the future but also soft life?
0: Well, the soft life um it's going to lead me to all the good things. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm le- I'm leaning into. The- I'm not oh.
2: Do you have stuff that you're like I really want to do x y and z? Yeah,
0: I want to do um the next TV show I do. I believe that you know Shakespeare said all the world's a stage. Mhm. I believe all the world's a vision board. Ooh. Yeah. So this is a vision board right now. I love. Exclusive. Um, I'm going to have a TV show.
2: Okay.
0: That's going to be like Shark Tank meets a softer version of Fix My Life.
2: Oh. And I'm going to be a fairy
0: godmother. I Uh, love that. And the other part of it is that um, I want to just spend—my mom's 95— so mm. as much as I can get out of that little lady,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: I want to spend as much time as I can making her smoothies and breakfast and lunch. We don't make dinner.
2: It's too much. Okay.
0: I'm not going I Now can't, I can't slave away for her either. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to spend as much time as I can just absorbing her. Yeah. And taking her in. Oh,
2: that's
0: beautiful. And making sure that she has a soft life in the last years of her life. Um, And the other part that I'm really focused on is my love. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a whole section in my book about Malibu Bevy. And the big part of Malibu Bevy is she doesn't work, Avi, duh. But the other part of her is that she has a lover. Um, And we he washes my hair and greases my scalp on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And then we cook dinner on our deck. And then when the sun is setting, we make the love. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. It's fish and, and grilled vegetables, so we're real, you know. Yeah. And um, we're in bed by nine. Yeah, by nine. Yeah, by nine, baby. Wow. Because I wake up so super early. Because the the Pilates and the yoga person comes at like five, six. This is this is. I have so many other questions. <laughs> My love is so amazing. He's divine in every way.
2: I love. I love that you also call him your lover. It's very mysterious. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. he's not for public consumption. I no, I'm here for it. Right, I'm here, I don't think everything has to be. Yeah, yeah, so good. Private, not a secret. I believe. I believe. Here we go. Um. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh You're my God, so amazing and such a a, a well of uh, so many gems and wisdom. So I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you,
0: and I'm so very happy for you. And you make me. So proud to see you shine in this way. I'm telling you.
2: I hope I I do. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our lead producer is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brandon McFarlane. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening.